So before I became a pastor full-time, I was a teacher, and I taught third grade for about nine years here locally. Um, Loved it, but I do remember that there was a steep learning curve when I first started. So I had gotten to school to become a teacher, and then at the end of your schooling, they have this thing that they call student teaching, and so you go into someone else's classroom, and you watch them. You see, how are they teaching? How are they engaging the kids? And you talk about their lessons and why they're doing the things they're doing. And then after you've observed for a while, they're like, okay, now you plan a lesson and you teach the class. And, and then after that, there's discussion on how it went. Well, I was, I was starting off student teaching. I had this amazing student teacher and I watched her for a long time. And then finally, it was my turn. And I remember I worked so hard on that lesson. Just make, I kind of scripted out what I was going to say, how I was going to say it, what teaching strategies I was going to use. And it was just going to be like this stellar lesson because I am definitely, I'm definitely the type of personality that over prepares. And so I was, I definitely over prepared for this. And so I was nervous, but I went in and I did it. I taught my first lesson. I got through it and I was feeling really good about myself. (laughs) And then my student teacher, um, or my my master teacher, um, afterwards, like we had set this time to, to debrief and to process what had happened. And I thought she was going to ask questions about, so like, why did you choose that strategy? Why did you, you know, present it this way. I really loved this. Like, that's where my mind is going. And instead, she started asking me questions about, um, so how did so-and-so understand what you said? How did this student learn? Do you think this kid got it? And she kept asking questions about the kids. It wasn't about my teaching at all. And, and I remember, I remember I wasn't sure how to answer. And finally, I just had to like say it out loud. I wasn't paying attention to the kids. <laughs> I was just paying attention to my teaching. <laughs> so um, fast forward a little bit. Um, I learned this lesson that to be a good teacher, you have to spend more energy and time focused on the kids than focused on yourself. <laughs> but see, that was the beauty of being in, in that situation where there was a master teacher who knew what she was doing and she was really good at it. And, and then there was me, just a, bra- a, a novice, a beginner, Um, coming in and both observing and getting to practice and then getting to debrief and then getting to observe again and practice and debrief. There was this training process that worked so well in helping equip me to be a better teacher. Today, as we continue in the Gospel of John, we're going to talk about discipleship. And that's uh, a bit of a churchy word, discipleship. But really, the, the, the main idea of a disciple is, is an apprentice, uh, a student, a learner. I like, the, I like the word a practitioner, someone who's practicing what they're learning, what they're studying. I, I like the word practitioner or apprentice 
because they both have this connotation of one who's actively engaged in learning. It's not just head knowledge, but it's also like you're living it, you're doing it, you're right there in it. And so today we're going to talk about we're going to look at the stories of Jesus calling some of his very first disciples. Disciples, And in the first century, there was a cultural practice that was very well known. You had these respected rabbis, and they would each have a group of disciples. And the disciples would follow in the footsteps of the rabbis, often very literally. As they traveled around, the disciples would follow the rabbi. And as the rabbi was walking, the rabbi would teach and would share what the rabbi knew. And the job of the disciple was to know what the rabbi knows and to practice what the rabbi practices. In fact, the yoke of a rabbi were the rabbi's teachings and the rabbi's practices. And here's the thing. In the first century, only like the cream of the crop got to be a disciple. So so most of the young boys, because it was a very patriarchal society, so most of the young boys would study um, and, and learn the law, learn the scriptures to a certain point, and then most of them would have to go back to their families to practice the family trade or to work in the farms, whatever, whatever their family did. But the cream of the crop, those who did really, really well, they would stay and they would study under the rabbi. And so it was a, a great privilege to be a disciple. And so this is, this is the context that we find ourselves in as we continue reading John chapter 1, and we'll be starting today in verse 35. The next day, John, and it's referring here to John the Baptist, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So, We talked about last week, John the Baptist was baptizing and preaching uh, a message of repentance, calling people to turn towards God. And when Jesus came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist recognized him as the Messiah. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And so here the next day, Jesus walks by him again and he says, look, the Lamb of God, there he is. That's the one I've been talking about. And it's so interesting in this story, two of John's disciples, two of the people who've been following John around and learning from him, leave John to follow Jesus. 
And John will actually be asked about this later on in chapter 3. And, and John clarifies so quickly, he says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm, I'm just here waiting and preparing people for the Messiah. And I'm so joyful that he is here. I love how John leads his disciples. He, he leads them in such a way that he's pointing them to Jesus instead of to himself. So, so there's, it's not like he's trying to keep his disciples for himself, but rather he's pointing everyone, including his disciples, to Jesus. And so uh, two of John's disciples, um, Andrew, uh, and then later on his brother Simon, approach Jesus. And Jesus says, come, come to them. And that's a very significant thing for a rabbi to say, come, come follow me, come be a disciple. Andrew will tell his brother about the Messiah and then bring him to Jesus. And it's interesting here, Jesus renames Simon and he calls him Peter. And in and, and the word, it's a, it's a word play. Because in Greek, the word for rock is Petros. And so Peter means rock. And in Matthew, I get a little more details of that conversation. But he says, on you, on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter will end up being one of the leaders of the first century church. The story continues in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asks. Well, come. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So as Jesus is walking again, he, this time he takes the initiative and he calls Philip and he says, come, come and follow me and, and and it's more than just come follow me right right now. Like this is an invitation of a rabbi. Come and follow me. Come be a disciple. And uh, Philip recognizes Jesus as the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. So he recognizes that Jesus isn't here in isolation without the back story. That Jesus is a continuation of God's story with Israel, of, of God's relationship with the Israelites. And so Philip tells Nathaniel, and we have some description of the conversation. Uh, likely there was a whole bunch more said. Like this is probably just a brief 
a brief summary of it, so I don't know what else was said, but here's what the author deemed really important that, that the author wants to make sure that we know. And first is Nathaniel's disgust for N- Nazareth. He's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? See, Nazareth was this, this humble, small, little, uh, little village in rural Israel up north in, in, the, in Galilee, in the countryside. It wasn't a prominent place. It wasn't considered uh, a well-respected place. It wasn't considered a place of uh, great significance. And I think that's pretty significant that the creator of the universe chose such a place to grow up. You know, that's, God's like, that's where I'm going to go. Nazareth, that tiny little place that everyone else has seemed to have forgotten. And in Nathaniel's um, reaction here, I can't help but think of, of ourselves. That sometimes we hear of a place and we have a bias against it. Or we have a negative reaction. Oh, you know, that neighborhood or, or that part of town and somehow being from that location devalues a person. And that's not the case. Not the case. The Son of God grew up in Nazareth. I love that. Nathaniel's conversation with Jesus continues. Um, and it's interesting. Again, I think we're probably missing some parts here, but, but here's what the author thought was important. Um, Jesus says, um, to Nathaniel, truly, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And this might be a wordplay because he's later going to reference um, the story of Jacob. And Jacob was the deceiver. And so I'm wondering if there's some wordplay there. But he says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And that might just be sitting under a fig tree. It might also be referencing um, studying scripture. Because often that's where uh, students learned and meditated on the law and learned the law was was under the shade of a tree, and so it could be could be referencing that. But whatever happens in that conversation, Nathaniel's attitude towards Jesus changes drastically, and he says he he declares, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel." And then Jesus speaks to him again. He says, you believe me because I told you this little bit about yourself. But then he says, you will see much greater things. And here's where Jesus references an Old Testament story from uh, Genesis 28, where Jacob dreams of a stairway uh, between earth and heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And during that dream, God tells Jacob that um, he, God will bless the earth through him, that God, that God will bless all peoples through the Israelites. And because Jacob encounters God there, he calls that place Bethel, which means the house of God. This is the house of God, the place where one encounters God. And so Jesus says here, um, Jesus says here, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That Jesus is 
God. Jesus is the house of God, so to speak. The place where we encounter God is Jesus. So, if we zoom out just a little bit, here uh, we see the, the, the description of Jesus calling his first few disciples. The disciples were meant to follow the rabbi and learn from the rabbi, learn what the rabbi knew, and practice what the rabbi practiced. We also see in here um, more of the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And there's actually seven different titles of Jesus in the passage that we read. We have the Lamb of God, which we talked about last week, the sacrifice used to atone for humanity's sin. We have Rabbi, the great teacher, a well-respected teacher. We have Messiah, which means the anointed one, the chosen one, specifically anointed for something. Jesus of Nazareth, which I love, the place where he grew up. We have uh, the title Son of God, which speaks to Jesus' divinity. We have the title King of Israel, that Jesus was the king from the line of David that would reign forever. And then we have the title Son of Man, which is an interesting one. It, it, the title originates in, in Daniel, and it was a messianic title understood to, to signify someone that will come with great authority and great power and, and glory. And Jesus often uses this title for himself, but it's interesting. He will also use this title when talking about his humiliation, when talking about his suffering, and talking about his death which I think is just beautiful. And so these seven titles speak to Jesus' identities, that he is God in human form, the great teacher who is also the eternal king, and the long-awaited savior who will use his power and his authority to take on the suffering and death, to take on suffering and death for, for others' sake. And so friends, today as we look at this, uh, as we look at this passage, I want to invite us to be disciples of Jesus. I want to invite us to learn the teachings of Jesus, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to become like Jesus in what we know and what we practice, to carry out the mission of Jesus. You know, sometimes it's really hard to define discipleship. And, and it's a word that's, again, it's a bit churchy, and it's used in different ways. Um, the best way that, that I've come across to really understand this concept of discipleship is actually found in, a, in Robert Mulholland's book, and it's a book called An Invitation to a Journey, A Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. And Robert Mulholland speaks of discipleship in terms of spiritual formation, and I want to read to you um, his definition of spiritual formation. He writes this, Spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I think we could substitute discipleship in there if we wanted. So spiritual formation or discipleship is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. I want to break that up because there's four significant parts to that definition. First of all, it's a process. 
It doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong journey. It's a dynamic journey. There's Our faith is growing and changing, and we're growing and changing. We're being, we're being transformed. And so it's a process. Secondly, um, he says it's a process of being formed. Notice that's passive tense, that we are being formed. Spiritual formation is, is the divine work of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, shaping us, that we are, we are changed and we are shaped by the presence of God and the purpose of God on our lives, which is interesting because that doesn't mean that we don't have play a part. It's not like we, we, we sit back and do nothing <laughs> and God does all the work. God definitely does the transformative work, the heavy lifting, the, wow, I didn't know that was possible, that I could change. Like, that, God does that work. Our part in it is to be present to God and to give consent because God never forces transformation on us. We always have a choice. And so our part is to continually turn towards God, to open ourselves up towards God, to be available and present to God. So spiritual formation or discipleship is a process of being formed. And what are we being formed into? The image of Christ, that we might reflect Jesus that we might be transformed in such a way that we love and serve like Jesus loved and served. Now, this doesn't mean that we're all going to look the same, <laughs> that our lives will all be the same, that we'll all do the same things. We, we all, our, our goal is to be like Jesus in how he loves and serves, and yet we are uniquely created as well. And so we, we get to become who we were created to be and uniquely love and serve in the ways God created us to uniquely love and serve. The more like Jesus we become, the more whole and healthy we become. And the closer we become to our true selves, the selves we were created to be. So, so far, spiritual formation is a process we're being formed, it's the work of the Spirit, into the image of Christ, and then last but not least, for the sake of others. I remember when I first read that, um, that description, like the very first time a few years ago, it, it's like I got slapped in the face. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> for the sake of others. Because we know and love God in the context of relationship. We grow in our understanding of God and, and how to love God in the context of how we relate to others. And so we are being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So what does this discipleship look like for us in our context? It looks like continually choosing to follow Jesus. It looks like choosing on a daily basis to immerse ourselves in the message and work of Jesus. Continually choosing to allow God to confront the parts in us that are not yet conformed to his likeness. And this is where it gets a little bit sticky. 
Like sometimes we have this like really rosy picture of following Jesus and all will be well. And don't get me wrong, we follow Jesus because it's amazing and, and, and God is doing an amazing work of healing and transformation. But in that work of healing and transformation, as we're being formed into the image of God, that work happens in us in those places that don't look like Jesus. It's in those places where we are not conformed, where we are unlike the way I'm responding to this situation, when that's not like Jesus would respond, that's where the Holy Spirit starts to kind of point and poke at that spot and say, hey, you know that that anger that just came up in you, that hate, that, that prejudice, um, that impatience with your children, that judge, judginess, <laughs> That's not like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit brings that up. And so know, friends, that as you follow Jesus, there will be hard moments, there will be challenges, but it's the Holy Spirit in us that gets to transform that. We just get to be open and available. Spiritual disciplines or practices, habits even, are super helpful on this journey because we tend to forget that this is a journey. And so these are like built-in rhythms that remind us, that refocus us, that reorient us to this process of spiritual formation or or this journey of discipleship, whatever language you want to use there. And this is both um, individual and also corporate, like coming to church today and taking communion. That's one of those practices that reorients us, that reminds us of what this journey is about. Other practices might be prayer, and there's so many different ways to pray. Uh, reading scripture, memorizing scripture, silence and solitude, resting and taking Sabbath, fasting, communion, acts of service, acts of justice in our community, confession, hospitality. I mean, the list goes on. Of These are habits that we can choose intentionally to remind us and to refocus us on this journey. This week, we announced um, Ash Wednesday. And on Ash Wednesday, we'll have that service. And the practices we'll be focused on are the practices of self-examination and confession and repentance. Now, those aren't Often the, the practices we focus on, yet they're so important and, and so vital for our journey. One of the things that, that I keep in my own life being reminded of is that we don't choose to follow Jesus just once, but we make that decision every day, multiple times a day. Will I, will I, will we choose to journey with Jesus in this situation? And friends, this journey leads to wholeness and leads to healing, leads to, to both being loved and living out love. It leads to an abundant life, one that is rooted and anchored in God's love. And it leads to an abundant life in which we get to both experience and participate uh, in God's mission, bringing wholeness and hope to a world that is so broken and so hurting. So my question to you, my question to myself, my question to all of us today is will we commit ourselves again, maybe for the first time, maybe again, will we commit ourselves to this journey of being a disciple of Jesus? 
This might be the first time you've been asked that question. And, and maybe you're exploring who this, who this Jesus guy is. <laughs> what is it that everyone's talking about? And we just want you to know that you're invited to explore and ask your questions. And if, and if you're ready to commit to Jesus, we would love to talk with you more and to encourage and support you on that journey. And, and maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for quite some time. Well, friends, the question's the same. It's the same for all of us. Will you commit yourself today to being a disciple of Jesus? This day, where you're at in, in this part of your life, with your current situation at home or with your family or at work, whatever it is, with the things you're dealing with right now, will you commit yourself to being a disciple of Jesus, devoting yourself, devoting ourselves wholeheartedly to the message of Jesus and giving God permission to point out those places in our lives where we're unlike Jesus and asking God to transform us. Will we commit ourselves to practicing life the way, <laughs> the way Jesus did, to practicing the way of Jesus, to love and serve like Jesus? This is a decision we make over and over and over again. And if, I'll, I'll even go a step further, if, if the answer is yes there, then let's think about how will we do that this week? How, how will that be reflected in the choices that we make? How will we be intentional about being a disciple of Jesus this week? I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your love and invitation. Jesus, we thank you that you are a rabbi who invites us to follow you and to learn from you and to practice your way of loving humanity and then to process that with you. We thank you for your grace when we really mess it up. And Lord, I ask that you would give all of us the courage to keep coming back, to keep learning, to keep turning towards you and keep committing to this journey of being a disciple of Jesus and that our doing would flow out of our being, that we would practice your way of love, your way of wholeness and healing and hope. God, we're just honored <laughs> and in awe of your invitation and how much you care for us and love us and how much you care and love this world. And so, Lord, we, we ask for the courage to say yes, and we ask for the courage and the strength and the wisdom to participate in your mission in the ways that you are calling us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.